couple of weeks ago, I spoke with the 2019 Portugal Masters champion Stephen Brown for this podcast, and uh, we had a really good chat about his amateur career, his professional career, um, how he's gone from the Alps Tour to a European Tour winner, how he played against some of the PJ Tour's biggest stars now uh, at the Walker Cup in 2011, and just really where he thinks golf is at the moment, how he thinks he's going to perform and he can get back in the next few weeks, and, and lots of other things that he was really willing to speak on. Um, very informative uh, and very open and honest about his career so far, so I think you'll enjoy it. I'll be too nervous, though. <laughs> I've probably lost the word. Welcome to the latest edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today by English European Tour professional Stephen Brown. He's won the 2019 Portugal Masters and came runner-up at the 2018 Made in Denmark event as well. Um, he's had a really good career so far. Uh, it's really interesting to hear about his junior career and, and talk more. So welcome, Steve. Hi, mate. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? How's the, how's the lockdown been? It's obviously a tough period for everyone at the moment. Yeah, it's it's not been too bad, to be honest. Um, I've kind of been lucky with uh, where we've been Uh during the lockdown period and um and i know that it, in a different situation it could have been um, a lot harder so yeah i'm certainly not um complaining too much about our time here it's been nice to be at home with some uh, with, with the girlfriend and everything which we obviously don't do too much um and yeah uh, i'm surprised actually about how how fast the time has gone um it seems to i mean i think it's what almost 55 days or something now uh, since the beginning of the lockdown so it does seem to have gone quite fast yeah i mean how how does it can you even remember back to the last time you actually swung <laughs> on the european tour and <laughs> is it no, something that sticks no. in your mind or you blocked it out <laughs> yeah no that it, it's uh it was qatar which was just before the lockdown um when we last played the tournament it does seem like a long time ago now i mean I, it was only what beginning of march so only a couple of months really but it does seem a long time ago that's for sure yeah absolutely and and how hard is it now to prepare for the season ahead when you sort of don't know necessarily obviously we've got a rough idea of looking for the british masters as a way back but you don't know for yeah. definite is it how do you prepare for that you know when you're in this period yeah i mean i guess that yeah that's a that's the tough bit really trying to have another off season really although saying that we don't really get that much of an off season nowadays well the, the schedule was that it almost ran every week so there was never really a time where you'd have you know four months or three or four months to actually potentially maybe work on some things that you needed to or address some weaknesses and so i i would say that that's probably what most people are trying to do um obviously it's difficult when you can't go on the range and stuff like that which i still at wentworth our club the, the range isn't open yet so we still can't go and actually really work on ball flights and stuff like that but it's it, it's definitely going to be a tough one to come up with a plan um that means we'll peak again when the tournaments come around and I think the toughest bit with it is that like you said the schedule that the European Tour are trying to put together there's so many difficulties with it in terms of an ever-evolving situation where the governments are changing rules every you know almost bi-weekly now so um, that's something that the US Tour don't have to deal with so potentially it's a bit easier out there to come up with a schedule but um trying to work out where the big tournaments are going to be. And that's going to be really important now because there obviously isn't going to be as many big tournaments this season. So trying to play well in those big ones is going to be, it's going to be important. Yeah, absolutely. And how much of a relief then is it that obviously, you know, you got your win last year and you're exempt mm. because there's yeah. going to be a lot of tough, 
tough decisions to make and i'm assuming the cards are going to be sort of honored for next year and things like that but it must yeah. must be a huge relief to know that you've got that in the bag and and obviously had yeah. the, your first win on tour now absolutely yeah i think the first month or so of the lockdown would have been quite different if i didn't kind of know that it's, it wouldn't be the end of the world if we didn't play this i kind of had that buffer that i had the exemption but yeah, I, I I think it is going to happen that all the categories will get pushed um, a year. So guys that have got a tour school category for this year, for example, even if they don't go and play for the rest of this year, they'll have next year to play as well, um, which kind of helps people. I think what the tour didn't want to do is put people in a position where they felt like they had to go and play when the tournaments resume, even if they didn't feel safe, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, so the never now needs to, if, if somebody is, say, I mean, everyone's situation is different, but say there was a guy of the tour school category that maybe lives with people that are high risk or whatever, um, they could say, well, OK, we won't play for this year until it's a bit safer or whatever each person's situation is. And, and they know that they have their category uh, for next season as well. So I, I think that will help when that kind of gets confirmed or, or not. That will definitely help help people mentally in this time that potentially were worried about stuff like that yeah i completely agree because you know yeah. you spoke about the u.s tour there and i think there's a lot of players at the moment that um are a bit worried about going back i know one of the high profile mm. names is ct pan he's very much uh he's sort of getting looked at as someone that's trying to avoid yeah. playing but there's no real reason for him so he's just saying it's unsafe for him he's very much trying to stay safe and and like yeah. you say there that they're almost getting told basically that the tour is going to be up and running um mm -hmm. if you choose not to play they're sort of likening it to post 9-11 where people didn't feel safe to travel on planes mm -hmm. and things like that but they were told well if yeah. there's an event and and you choose not to play then that's kind of your yeah, own doing which is it's yeah. a tough it's a tough thing really isn't it? i mean i'm, I'm sure yeah. there's 90 percent of the tour that really just want to get back and compete i don't know about yourself mm. but yeah. just want to get going and are raring to go but it is i mean like we've seen really over the last week or so in in england especially you know people are just flocking to the golf course because they just want to get out don't they but yeah it's a completely different thing when you've got thousands of people on site trying to run a, run a tournament of course yeah i mean everyone quite literally everyone's situation is different so you can understand if people i mean i don't know where ct pan is uh, isolating or whatever but i mean it's not just american players that play the u.s tour for example just like there's plenty of nationalities that play the european tour so everyone's situation will be different um I mean, I guess the slight difference in the States is that their season is actually a lot deeper um, into their season. So they're sort of maybe potentially more likely to say, well, we've played a lot more tournaments. So the categories for next year might stand. I don't, I don't know what, what yeah. they're doing, but they played, I mean, almost two thirds of their season. Whereas, I mean, I've only played five events this year and, and a lot of the guys that playoff maybe category 10 or better have only only played five or six events um so it hit our season um a lot earlier this sort of break um i mean i i'm i guess quite lucky because i'm based in the uk uh and it seems like especially at the start when we get going again there is going to be a few events in the uk just because obviously the tour are trying to cluster events in the same places so that guys don't have to travel as much yeah. they can just go to fly to london and then um just drive everywhere i mean i guess that's the aim um so i mean i'm itching to get out but there'll be guys potentially in other countries that feel like 
they don't want to do maybe they might have to quarantine when they get here i mean who knows it's um what i do know is though that the tour will do everything they can to make it as safe as physically possible so um so i think that'll give guys a lot of confidence but uh, you know the good thing is that with the decisions that it seems like they're going to make uh it's taken that worry out of people's minds that they have to play whatever happens yeah absolutely it's just it, it like you say it's a fluid situation it's hard for us mm. to really know what's going on and we're all sort of just playing a guessing game at the moment but yeah. it certainly seems to make sense to have as many events in the uk as we can to keep it as a club you know safe and um yeah. but there you know like you mentioned on the us tour there's, there's international caddies and players that they're, they're trying to get mm-hmm. travel restrictions lifted for people like them and you know it's really just i think that's the thing people just think oh well, golf should just be back if they're playing <laughs> if you're playing yeah. in your normal course why can't they yeah. play events and it's so much more course, difficult than yeah. that you've got you know shot yeah. tracers and you know different stats to pick up there's so many volunteers involved scorers and things like that that it's just yeah it's a whole different thing isn't it but Let's yeah. sort of, we'll sort of move on from that situation because we we sort of can only really guess there and yeah, I don't want yeah, you exactly. to try and try and put yourself in it or anything like that so it's one of those things but uh, but we know don't we that you you're trying to get back and you, and you're ready to mm-hmm. go and and as soon as you can you know work towards that then then great but yeah. I just want to go back to sort of like the start really and and how mm-hmm. did you get yourself into golf because obviously I grew up playing a lot of sport but at schools mm-hmm. and things like that it's football and rugby isn't it mainly for yeah, for English yeah, schools yeah. if you want mm-hmm. to play golf you've really got to seek it from an outside influence and, and focus on that it's not introduced to you as such no exactly yeah. it, it wasn't school I, I guess it would just be my dad really he was he liked golf um, I, I, I'm the same as you I played so I just love sport in general even now I just play any sport I love watching it love playing it um and so I did everything. And so I'd go and play golf with him. Um, and it, I, I mean, I don't really know. I, I guess I kind of started then started playing for the county and all stuff like that. And then it just kind of goes from there, really. You kind of move up the levels. And then, um, I mean, to be honest, though, I mean, I wasn't, I played for my county and then got into the England stuff, uh, like regional training um, with some with some guys that are now on tour, actually, funny enough. And, um, and then... I was always going to go and do my A-levels at, um, at my school, at sixth form. Yeah. Whereas all the guys that I was competing against at that time were all leaving school pretty much at 16 or going to the States. Um, so I kind of said, look, I'm not going to be able to put in the same time and effort as everyone else because I'm going to school every day. Um, so I'm just going to kind of step away from the England stuff. And, and for those two years, I, I really didn't play that much golf. I played here and there with my mates, but played a bit at Wentworth, but nothing no really high levels as such um, and then when I finished there I still didn't really have that focus of wanting to be a golfer um, I think my dad kind of wanted me to to carry it on more yeah. than I did um, and I went I worked for sort of three or four months and then and then went traveling with a couple of friends um, so so basically three years I, I didn't really um, didn't really play that much I certainly wasn't you know planning on making it my career um, and then when I got back from that it was the summer and I kind of played in some tournaments at Wentworth and still still was playing decent I think I was off about scratch or maybe even plus one at the time so I was kind of playing club stuff and then I decided to, to go to university at Royal Holloway which is really close to Wentworth um, with the idea that I could there still play at Wentworth and try and get my golf better and do university but it turned out that I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I like to do things well so 
it, but it turned out that I was kind of not being able to do either as well as I'd like because I wasn't giving enough time or wasn't able to give enough time to yeah to either. So I was lucky, very lucky in the sense that my dad said, look, interrupt your studies because you can always go back and, and just give it a go for a couple of years and, and just see. Um, you know, there will be other people that weren't wouldn't be lucky in that situation. But he said that he would, um, you know, basically fund me playing because amateur golf when you're not in the England setup or anything and you've got to pay for it all yourself with absolutely nothing in return, um, it can be quite expensive. So um, that was very lucky. And so, and then I just kind of picked it up straight away and started playing really well. And I think I had probably about a year of just getting down low enough that the England selectors started looking at me again and then got, got into that sort of stuff. Um, and this was always kind of the plan to just turn pro after a couple of years if I would get good enough. Um, but then Walker Cup started sort of, selection started coming along and it looked like I was going to get that so it pushed it back another year and um so that's what I did I stayed amateur to try and qualify for that team which I did and then uh, and yeah turned pro after that but because of all of these years of pushing things back I, I turned pro quite late um I think I was 23 20, yeah around 23 or 24 uh purely because it just kept pushing kept getting pushed back when I was kind of moving up the levels and had the opportunity to play in some pretty cool things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that you covered most of the questions were really there. Is firstly, was when did you really think that it was going to be a career path for yourself? And, and for what you're saying there, it was kind of a bit mm. of a late decision, really. You, you were very yeah. committed to studies and, and going to sit former mm. university. Whereas when you're, you're a talented golfer and like you say there, a lot of people do choose to, to go to colleges in America and things like that. And was, was mm. that ever an option? Did you ever get recruited at all? I never really put myself out there to even um, want to be really at the, no. the time that the recruiters were kind of looking at everyone was that, I guess, 16 to 18 age group. And I was at sixth form, not even wanting to play golf, really. I was like you said, you know, you get into football and rugby at school at the weekends and um, and you're in the week. I was studying and stuff like that. So I was never really in the position where um, I'd be around that sort of thing. And I think... I mean, looking back, I mean, it would be easy to say now, oh, well, I, you know, if I just carried on, I, I basically would have had an extra, um, well, at least an extra three years of golf career. But I mean, I don't regret it just because I've done things and experienced things that I wouldn't have done. Um, and especially at a time like this, when you, you know, it gives you a chance to think, doesn't it, these sort of times and you took things for granted. Yeah. Um, you know, and guys at school now leaving school might have been wanting to go traveling for a year or whatever and, and that's basically been taken away from them which is something that we never thought would happen so to, to actually have done those things and you know i mean those years i had a sixth form were great years i had a really good time and i mean you never know that i might have gone out to the states and lost interest in golf i know plenty of guys that have done that so you know i, I do think everything happens for a reason and i was more than happy with all the decisions that i made um and well luckily so far they, they've kind of paid off really um and, and like i said who knows if, if i did things differently who knows if well you know i'd even be on tour now so 
Yeah, and I, and I think one of the things you're saying there is it, it probably gave you a greater sense of perspective. I think maybe that you know if, if things didn't pan out as the way that mm-hmm. you wanted to. I mean, you, you had a very good amateur career and you won an English amateur in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and just looking at the people that you, you beat then, or the yeah. semi-finals of Tyrrell Hassan and Callum Shinkwin, mm-hmm. both you know established on tour. Tyrrell's now one of the PGA Tour as well. Um, yeah. So, but was it because mm-hmm. you were you know slightly older at that time and, and maybe mm-hmm. a bit more? Um, I don't, you know, just very calm about everything, and and it wasn't your whole life. Whereas I think people get sort of dragged mm-hmm. into, you know, the golf's my everything. Whereas you always had a bit Absolutely. of different things going on that sort of probably took that away, that pressure away somewhat. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think going off, and I mean, when I was I earned the money to go travelling with my friends, me and my two friends, we worked in a factory where, you know. It, it was just long days of monotonous things and which is fine and you know you can you can get along absolutely fine doing that but when you're used to being outside and playing golf and things like that it, it makes you realize how lucky you are to actually do at that as well, at the time it wasn't a career but now it is so it certainly gives you I think extra motivation to really you know enjoy it and put everything you've got into it because you're lucky to be doing it so and that's certainly throughout my amateur career when my dad was supporting me I very much took it as a job so you know I would I would never ever be in a position where my dad could say you know hold on I'm you know supporting you here and you're not putting in the effort and that's kind of what I've been like for my whole life really and so it was very much like a job for me I took it as a job and say I just had a normal job I'd be there nine to five so I've structured my days very much like a job and I had a plan every day. Um, and there was a couple of boys from Wentworth that at the time were kind of doing the same thing, which helps because you can motivate each other. And um, one of my friends, Lee, he, I mean, I remember we do things like every day we'd be in the gym sort of stretching in the morning and we'd go out and hold a hundred putts from four feet in a row before we could do anything else. And yeah. it's just things like that, that, I mean, now I, I honestly think that's the hardest I've worked because things are different now in that, you know, life changes and you've got other things to do and whatever. But, you know, that those sort of two or three years where I just worked that hard to see if I could do it, um, really, when I look back now, really set me off to to kind of move up the levels because I had to work so hard through it. It wasn't like something that just came straight away. Like some guys, I've always worked up the levels when I sort of worked out what I needed to do to, to do that. Yeah, and I think as well there, you talk about the hard work that you go through on those two years, and it's obviously you have to work hard when you're on the European Tour, but it's actually harder to have that sort of structure, isn't it? Because of all the travelling that you're doing, you sort of yes, finish exactly, the tournament yeah. on a Sunday, and then mm-hmm. you're off again on Monday to a completely yeah. different part of Europe or Asia or Africa, or wherever you're playing. Um, yeah. It's not as easy to structure it. So yes, you're going to put range work in Monday to Wednesday in your yeah. practice rounds, but you can't go out and you haven't really got time to sit there and have mm. 100 four-foot putts before you go out, have you? Because you've, <laughs> no. you've, got, you've got to travel somewhere no. else. So it does exactly. And when you're that, I was that age, you know, you're not worrying about things like people know now, things about, you know, energy and, you know, just trying to peak for certain times and not overload and, and, all, and all things like that. So at the time, it was just nonstop. I, you know, I could just play. I'd never worry, oh, am I going to be tired tomorrow? So am I going to be able to perform? All this sort of stuff. It was just just get as many reps of everything yeah, as you can just, just to put it in. And But those sort of things that I did then would still be, um, benefiting me now 
you know so it's it's things that will just stay with you forever but you have to build them in you know you have to put in the the time and at some point and then hopefully reap the rewards of that a few years down the line but I mean th- those years certainly were a big factor when I started to realize actually yeah I'm moving up the levels here and therefore I feel like I can keep going yeah. so it was around the time it must have been about 2010 when I started getting the England set up and playing England matches and winning England matches and doing well in tournaments and things like that which gave me the confidence to sort of be like okay we'll do one more year try and get in the Walker Cup and then we'll turn pro and, and then it was like a, I knew that I could be good enough to do it and so that last year 2010 2011 was definitely the, the time when I thought I've kind of worked it out that I can give it a go yeah and do you think you say that that was what my next question was going to be do you think was it the english amateur win or was it the walker cup that really cemented your, your confidence but you obviously had that confidence going in so what was the yeah. the mood like going into the week of the english amateur did you did you really feel like you had a chance to win was that or was it something um, that sort of surprised you when you got there i uh, certainly at the start i never i don't i didn't ever go into a tournament i, I still don't really go into tournaments going i'm going to win this week i've never really been that guy i've kind of been like a if I can control my mind enough that I can just try my best on every shot and see where that leaves me. Uh, I tend to, if I can control that area, I tend to be in it at the end of the week. And I, I mean, that, that year I've been fairly consistent and played quite well. So I guess I had that sort of confidence that I could do well. And I was in with a chance if I did my, if I did my best, I could, would have had a chance of winning. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a funny, um, format the english amateur in that it's match play and i think the brit the british amateur that year i'd come second in the qualifying um and then lost first round <laughs> so yeah yeah absolutely. it's a funny thing like that but but coming you know qualifying and and i've been consistently in the top whatever uh, top 30 of the tournaments so knowing that i had to come top 64 now in just uh the english amateur which is just obviously english players because it's closed um you know i was very confident that i could get through to the match play uh, but I remember it really clearly. It's weird. I mean, I it was at Woburn and the weather was just perfect. And the course is amazing at Woburn. And the scoring, because it's, it's not an easy course, but the scoring wasn't great. And I remember vividly that Ian Poulter was there because he's a member. And he was on social media, basically slating the scoring, saying it's not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I had one hole, and it's like the 12th hole, where it's a short par four. You can drive it if the tee yeah. and the wind everything was right and uh, I laid out like a five iron and I I duffed two pitches into the water <laughs> <laughs> and then didn't fancy dropping it where I hit it from again so I walked up to the water just short of it dropped it in the rough to give myself a bit of uh, leeway uh, hit it on the green and I made an eight which really put me around the mark of qualifying and I think I finished pretty decent maybe one under for the last three to kind of get in and that from, from then on, I just kind of relaxed and just played really well. I mean, um, I had some tough, I had to play one of my really good friends, one of my best friends that week, Warren. Um, but then after that, I just, I just played great. And then when I beat Tyrrell in the semi-final, um, I kind of felt like that was the big game. Tyrrell was one of the best players there and I knew it was going to be a hard game. And then when I, so when I beat him, I just had so much confidence. I was playing so well that, that I would win the final. And I mean, I played a guy called Jamie Clare and he had, was very young at the time and hadn't really been in that situation before. And I think maybe, I don't know if nerves got the best of him, but he, he kind of really struggled the first few holes and I started off great. And so I think I, I was maybe six or seven up through 18 holes. It's 36 hole final. Um, so, so then I just kind of 
I think we were about all square for the next 12 holes or, or whatever. And so I got, I think, a six and five or something like that. But that kind of cemented my Walker Cup place, which was which was great because I kind of knew that if I'd won that, that I would get in. So that was obviously a big, big positive from the English amateur because I knew that, um, that that would mean the Walker Cup. Yeah, and I think I've read an interview by yourself and, and you just mentioned there that, you know, you had a massive lead after 18 holes and, and I sort of wondered whether it was a case of you playing well or Jamie playing badly, but you sort of said there was both of them. And then, you know, mm. he did fight back really well, but you still managed to yeah. stand firm and, and finish. I think it was seven and six, actually. I think you're doing mm. seven injustice oh, there. <laughs> um, so I, I do you... remember, though, I remember at lunchtime, because obviously that's near the end of the season and you play, obviously, two rounds uh, and then two practice rounds because I think it was around two courses yeah it was the qualifying was around two courses and then so then you play I think six rounds in five days and then it's the final something like that and yeah. I, that lunchtime I sat down and my legs just were gone I literally <laughs> I, w- I went to get up after lunch and just like there was just my legs were just absolutely like so fatigued and just knackered um and because at the time I wasn't really doing that much gym thing i mean basically even if i was i mean that's so much golf to play in say seven days something like nine or ten rounds in seven days they just caught up with me it was a beautiful week heat wise and and so literally the whole of the second 18 i just had nothing left um i'm sure jamie was probably the same because he played the same amount of holes but yeah i just remember it vividly thinking like oh god (laughs) this could be hang on here yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah really and luckily i had that lead from the from the morning because he he played much better in the afternoon when he kind of relaxed a bit so yeah i was i was uh yeah really happy to get that yeah we're just just going forward now to the walker cup and i think it's Mm. fair to say that that's one of the best american walker (laughs) cup teams you will ever see um yeah we'll just go through the names here of patrick cantley jordan spieth russell Mm. henley harris english (laughs) peter uline and patrick rogers um Now, yeah. obviously, no one knows at the time that they're going to be as good as they are now. Um, <laughs> no. But I'm sure you guys would have noticed how good they were. Um, I know mm. Patrick Cantley and, and Russell Henley and people, uh, Harris English especially, were really sort of highly touted, and Jordan was as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Was there, was there a fear factor at all? Are you still at the point where it's kind of like it's just an amateur event and you don't feel as much pressure then? You just kind of enjoy it? Yeah, I, I, would, I would say I didn't really know much about their team at the time um it wasn't really like it is today with lots of social media and things like that and and it's easy to find out things about the u.s golf now but at the time we didn't really know too much i think the fact that it was in aberdeen on royal aberdeen which is a phenomenal course um and yeah amazing to play but we knew that it's in i think september in scotland and that was going to we played on that all year, you know, yeah. and those guys haven't. Um, and we, I didn't know too much about the team. I mean, the other guys might have. I mean, we knew that the world rankings were heavily fa- like heavily in their favour. I think they were all pretty much in the top 25 in the world or even maybe even less. I mean, it was a machine team. Um, I mean, but, you know, we, we kind of felt like we had a lot of good players, good Lynx players, and, and it was on a Lynx course, and the, the weather certainly was going to be um, favourable towards us. Um I mean, and, I mean, I think I worked out pretty early on how uh, how good their team was. I mean, me and uh, Stiggy played in the foursomes the first morning. I, I felt pretty pretty fine actually. I, I wasn't that nervous. Played played okay. Um, I mean, foursomes. We just didn't really get anything going. And we played against uh, uh, Patrick Cantley and a guy called Chris Williams, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they were just phenomenal. Just didn't really do anything wrong, and we just got nowhere near them. I think they beat us five and four. I like, was just the easiest win 
but like I said, he just Cantley just didn't miss a shot. I mean, he was really, really good um, and just out of nowhere. Yeah, but but we kind of saw the leaderboard the whole way around, and the other guys played great. And I don't think we were ever down in any of the other games, so um, that kind of didn't make us really panic at any time. But they certainly showed when I played, whoever I played against, they were very impressive. Um, and and it was kind of lucky, I'd say, in a sense, I think we'd all kind of say this, that if we were playing them in America on one of their courses, um, could have been a different story, but um, it was kind of in our backyard, so to speak, in our weather. So it kind of gave us a bit more of a chance. Yeah, and, I, and that was one of the things I was going to say, was do you, th- do you think the course was one of the deciding factors, probably the deciding factor, just because of how accustomed you guys were to it? Not not to take anything away from your talent level and the win, mm. but obviously if you'd gone over to America, it could have been a completely different story yeah. based on you know what they're used to. Yeah, and when you look at the other Walker Cups where you play away, the, the courses are just... It's more that the courses when we go to them are so they're set up so different to what we're used to i mean when you think that we play all year on um links courses where the greens aren't that fast because of the wind possibilities you go over there and they're 13 14 on stimp and guys just aren't used to it uh they're often longer courses um and when you're at home you have to really flight the ball because of the links conditions and everything and it's so different when the guys seem to go out and play there whereas I mean Royal Aberdeen's a phenomenal course I, I don't necessarily think it was the course it's just more the conditions yeah. you know where all of a sudden you, you're playing in three or four layers and it's wet and the greens are slower like I said and sometimes that's hard to get used to uh, the greens were perfect and they weren't that slow but they were just slow for them I would imagine compared to what they're used to um, I mean, you don't, you never know, do you? And and we did have some really, really good players on that team, guys that were playing very well. But I definitely think it would have been, I would put my money on it being a different story potentially if um, if we were in the states. Yeah, and that's the thing as well. I think the other thing that maybe was a factor is that yourself, you were twenty four at the time. Uh, Andy mm-hmm. Sullivan was twenty four at the time. Yeah. Tom Lewis was, you know, a highly coveted amateur mm-hmm. at the time. So maybe a bit yeah. of experience as well. But I'm just looking. Yeah. And, you know, you, you beat Russell Henley one up in your mm-hmm. singles match on the Saturday and then on the Sunday also got the deciding half point against Blaine Barber. And did you, yeah. it must be quite a big um, confidence boost for yourself to go and get the business done individually. Mm-hmm. I know it's obviously yeah. a team event, but for you to stare down two of the, two of the better players in, in amateur golf one-on-one um, yeah, one and to handle your business must have been really good for you going forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Nigel, to be fair to him, I mean, he, he put me out in the singles on the um, the Saturday afternoon after getting spanked in the morning because I felt like I did play quite well, but just didn't quite happen. Um, and so to get that point after he put me back out was really important for me. I mean, we had a great game. Russell Henley, I mean, he absolutely flushed it. He hit it miles. He was um, He's from Texas, I believe, or played a lot of golf in Texas. So he had a really good ball flight for the wind. It's very yeah. windy there, apparently. So he actually did really well in the wind and, and we just had a really good game. Um, I think I might have birdied 17 potentially to 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 go one up and then hit just shots that just stick with you, you know, in that pressure situation. Um, it was kind of into the wind and I hit just a beautiful drive and five iron to about 20 feet, which kind of, and he, I think, you know, had a, tough line a bunker or something or but I got the, got that win which certainly settled me down because I think if to lose two games on the first day would have been quite disappointing and then me and Sticky uh, got left out in the uh, in the foursomes on the Saturday uh, because he kind of did like a system where there was 10 players 
And he kind of divided us up and said, right, uh, these are your partners. And he was never going to mix them up. So when me and Stiggy lost, it was just an easy decision to put in the two guys that were left out the first morning, yeah. which were James Byrne and Reese Pugh. And Reese was very young at the time, um, Welsh guy. And he, and he played great on the Saturday afternoon. And I think he won all of his matches. He, had not, he played so well. Um, and we went out and actually watched on the Saturday morning. It was freezing cold. And Jordan Spieth, uh, this was the first time I'd ever seen him because I hadn't played against him or whatever. And I think he he was four down with four to play against Tom Lewis and Mikey Stewart. And he holds something like three 20-footers in the last four holes to win. <laughs> and they got a half out of it. He, they won the last four holes. And, wow. And yeah, when you think about the sort of thing, sort of putts that he's held since, it was very much sort of, similar to what you see yeah exactly yeah you can see why um, he's done it in a professional yeah game. and he was 16 at the time i think so um yeah it was pretty pretty phenomenal and then to get the uh half point on the um after this time completely making a mess of the 17th and losing it um to make the four down the last was uh yeah pleasing because it was getting pretty close for a minute and I remember my friend jack senior hold a ridiculous putt on the last to to win his game so um, yeah, to get it done was, was great. Yeah, and I think you know, and that's the thing is that you, you had a you had a lead going into Sunday, and you know you had really strong singles opponents. You know these mm. these are like you say they're all really highly rated. Um, you turn professional after that Walker Cup, and yeah. and you go out and play on the outstore for a couple mm. of years now. Um, and not to discount anything from the outstore because you know it's this professional golf, <laughs> but those players that you were playing against in that Walker Cup a year later were all playing on the PGA Tour and winning, yeah. weren't they? You know, you've got Russell yeah. Henley, Jordan Spieth, Harris English, yeah. all won in 2013. How yeah. is that motivating and encouraging that you know you can you can stack up against them and they're winning at that level, or is it frustrating for yourself playing at a different level? Um, I th- I think it. It was definitely, it wasn't frustration that they had gone on to the BGA Tour and that that I was doing what I was doing. It was just pure frustration that I was doing what I was doing. I didn't really think too much about them. It was just that I knew that I was, you know, good enough to compete against guys that were playing on the European Tour and kind of why wasn't I there? But I think in the back of my mind, I kind of knew that I was never really a guy that it just clicked straight away. And I I just went from you know where I want where I was to where I wanted to be like that I kind of through the amateur stuff and and that I just kind of was at my level saw and worked out what I needed to do to get to the next level and then came up with a plan implemented it and then did it so I I, I wasn't kind of panicking in that oh my god I've got to do this it was kind of like okay just you know keep doing what you're doing because you'll then go up um And and those guys were, all, I mean, we all kind of knew that they were pretty much all going to go straight onto the U.S. tour because they were made for that. The U.S. college system sets them up very well to get on tour straight away because they play similar courses and things like that to what they're going to go and play. Whereas it's a it's a big adjustment when you when you go from say playing British amateur or the big international events in Europe and in Great Britain and Ireland. You, you know, you shoot level par, you, you're going to probably be leading because it's so difficult. You're playing yeah. very difficult courses where if you shoot level par, pars are great. It's a great score. But then all of a sudden, you turn professional and you shoot level par every round, you, you won't ever make anything. behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's, so, is it a case of, you know, that that's so difficult at that time that when you do go and play a course where 
you you have to shoot low scores to contend. Mm-hmm. Does do the courses appear easier in one sense though? Because obviously you've you've had such a tough challenge going on. I know obviously it's harder to go sort of six seven under during rounds when you're playing against you know veteran players. Um, but you know it didn't take you long, did it, to adjust to the Alps Tour? You, you won twice no. in 2013 uh, yeah. and got yourself onto the Challenge Tour very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking at your Challenge Tour year in 2014, um, and yeah. you had six top tens that year. How, yeah. How difficult was it having that that strong of a year and and not getting a European Tour card? And did it make you change anything for the following years? Well, after I got off the Alps Tour, where I mean that was a big sort of wake up call in that you had to go so low. You played courses that were often quite short uh, in kind of European countries where there isn't a lot of space, so they're kind of quite fiddly. And but certainly I had to adjust areas of my game, which helped me going forward. But um, after that, when I went up onto the Challenge Tour, I really started to get bad injuries. I had a bad back sort of rib issue, which was caused kind of from technique, poor technique, putting a lot of stress on that area. And I just um, basically damaged the ligaments that connect oh, okay. my rib to my ribs to my back. So, um, so that even that year, when I had, I had a good month to six weeks in the middle off. So I kind of took it that I came about 25th, I think, on the order of merit that year on the Challenge Tour when I didn't even play all of the events and I had that sort of interrupted season. So I kind of looked at it like, well, I've done this without even being fully fit. Um, so thinking for well, the next season, if I can stay fit, then it should be no problem. I mean, it didn't go that way and the injury came back and it, it wasn't great at all. It didn't get sorted out. So the next year was very stop start again. And I had a very poor year, um, which, well, I, I, I think I, I didn't even keep my card on the challenge door next year, if I remember rightly. Um, I, I had kind of had status, but not great status. So I didn't really know how many events I was going to play. Yeah. And, and you know, from the outside looking in, just when, you know, you look up your background and unless you sort of go out and talk about it, which you don't really get a chance to, you, you know, mm-hmm. short interviews after wins or playing well, you mm-hmm. don't get asked this deeper information, do you? So mm-hmm. from the outside no. looking in, it's like, okay, well, you had six top tens. Um, mm. why didn't you play in more events well, there you go you were injured yeah. you had really bad injured, injuries yeah. um, and then and that slows your progress now mm-hmm. um, you obviously you're, you've already said you're a bit of a late starter I mean mm-hmm. when someone says they're a late starter at 23 someone's going you're still so young but in golf mm-hmm. the people are going out mm-hmm. top level aren't they 18, yeah. 19 and yeah, so exactly. was there any pressure then that you were like okay well this needs to happen quicker after I've had a couple of years where injuries have, have stopped me um, mm, and, and you yeah. sort of do you put too much pressure on yourself going into 2017 I mean it turned I out well for I, you <laughs> yeah I mean that year so the challenge tour um, is very different to the European tour in that you your tournaments run from say April to October time yeah. and then so then for six months at the end of the challenge tour season you, you don't have any tournaments to play um, so that year after I guess the end of 2016 when I had a poor year I went and worked um, uh, in an office and a factory and stuff and, and for basic just to earn some money really um, and so I didn't really play too much golf in that winter and it was a similar thing to what I said about when I was in the amateur uh, time where it really just made you realize what I wanted to be doing and it, it wasn't that so that was a real focus sort of thing where I just it made me work even harder and really just got me back into you know the realizing how lucky I was to be doing what I was doing and that I said to myself that that next season I would leave nothing behind and I'd give it everything and if it didn't happen then that year then I would have had to seriously consider 
looking elsewhere because that would have been, you know, five years or so since I turned pro. So five, six years. And it would have had to have been a time where I had to look at myself and sort of ask myself the questions that you don't really want to, but no. you know, am I going to do this? And, and I definitely think that winter of, um, of getting away from the game and going to work and, and just really being able to realize what I need to do and everything like that de- definitely helped. And, and I just got onto a run where I didn't actually have the best start. If I remember rightly to that year that I went up off the challenge tour, yeah, I, was gonna, I, was gonna I say, didn't have the best had, start. You had three missed cuts in your first yeah. five events. And, and, yeah. and like you say, you're having this difficult discussion with yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then that happens. How yeah. you Because you, you're not wanting to give it up, right? So you, no, you're starting to worry at this situation. Mm-hmm. Do, yeah. do like, And this is something I sort of speak about quite on this podcast, is that putting pressure on yourself to achieve more. So... Um, yes, you don't want to put yourself under heaps of pressure, but sometimes when you're staring a miscut in the face or mm-hmm. you know losing your card, that really sort of sharpens you. And then um, is that sort of what happened, or was it a case of just getting a, a couple of breaks and then your game coming round, or was it was it the case of you were just so desperate to make it work? Yeah, I remember quite clearly that um, after Kenya, I which is one of the first events, if not the first event, yeah. I missed the cut and my back still wasn't great, and it made me. That was the first time I said right it's not the rest and the whatever that I need to do. I need to change my technique uh, to ease that area. So I changed coach. Um, right. And that was purely was that I'm getting these issues in my back still. Can you see anything in, in the swings? I sent them to Damien Taylor, who I've been recommended to see from uh, my management uh, company. Um, and I just sent him some videos saying that, can you see anything here that would suggest you why I would get this bad sort of shoulder back at you? And he said, yes. So I started working <laughs> with him uh, and he started working with him and it, um, it, it made all the difference. It took a little, a few tournaments just to, to get it in. And then I probably played the most consistently good golf that I've ever played then. For, I mean, I went on an absolute just crazy run of events. I, I think on the challenge tour, after I missed three of the first five or something, I made something like maybe 20 cuts in a row on the challenge tour. Yep. Um, the, something yeah. Something like that. Here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I just played so consistently so well, I think I had a second and a third, which had some crazy things happening. I mean, I, I came second or third in Ireland second, I think. And yeah. I had to call a two shot penalty on myself on the 18th green oh, wow. on the yeah. Saturday because it was raining. <laughs> I still can't believe this happened, but, it was raining and so my caddy all day was coming out with the umbrella over me stepping away on all my shots and then i'd hit on the 18th green the last hole the last part um when it wasn't really even raining that much we were just in such a rhythm that he did it and i didn't say to him like yeah okay step away and he just stood there while i putted oh so it's like lining up lining up penalty (laughs) well yeah you just can't have you can't have someone standing over you and i don't know why you're hitting so i've kind of walked halfway the putt was about 30 feet and i walked halfway after it and i looked back and i was like did we just do that and he was like i don't know and i said okay well i don't know either but it seemed like you know, normally you just subconsciously know if someone stepped away. And I looked back, I thought, I don't think we've done that right. So I called it to a shot penalty to myself. And I think luckily afterwards, someone said, oh, I, I had that on camera. And yes, it was over you. So I made the right call, which was which was good. Because if they had said that I wasn't, and I'd called the two shot penalty. Yeah, pretty silly, yeah. Yeah, but still, just such a stupid penalty to, to have to do to yourself. But anyway, so yeah, I think I lost by a couple. 
after doing that, but and, and did really well in the English Challenge. And it was more the consistency that got me off the Challenge Tour because I didn't win, which is very rare because the money is so, or the points are so highly stacked for winning. Or yeah, absolutely. Um, so so, the, but that gave me so much confidence leading into my first year on the European Tour, and I carried that run on. I think I made the first maybe five five or six cuts. Um, on that, which dragged that run out to to a long run of made cuts, which when, at first, when I was on the main tour, I was kind of making the cuts and not really coming anywhere and, and started to get a bit frustrated with it, which looking back was maybe why when I started to miss a couple of cuts on the European tour, I made rash decisions and changed things too quickly when actually I've kind of worked out that just having that consistently of just making cuts, maybe you're not having your best stuff, but still making cuts, it just ticks you over to when you have that week where it all comes together and you have that week where you pat well or, or whatever. Um, and I think I made some rash decisions early on in that year, which put me on the opposite spiral in that I started missing cuts and panicking and then that run <laughs> seemed yeah. to go on for a long time. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, because you sort of go through stages, don't you? So it's sort of the first idea is that you want to get the consistency and get your card. Um, you, you know, you had sort of like three or four top fives in a row, which is on the Challenge yeah. Tour is really great. Yeah. And you spoke there about the frustrations of not winning. Um, mm-hmm. But if you go and put back-to-back top five finishes on the European Tour, suddenly, you know, it's yes. a massive, massive thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? So yeah. um, where we can see in 2018, you kind of had a, a sort of rough start, but then... Mm-hmm. You put it, seem to put it together at the Sicilian Open, especially for the first two yeah. rounds. Um, and then Saturday, there was a 73 in there that, that mm-hmm. kind of made it really hard on Sunday. Um, yeah. You bounced back from that and shot a 66 as well. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's fair to say that you do actually deal quite well with pressure. It's just whether yeah. you... Um, whether you're able to put yourself in those positions, which you're talking there, Absolutely. or that you were trying yeah. to change too much, um, mm-hmm. which which cost you in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I, I that's that's right, hundred percent. I I do seem to when I get in those situations, I seem to thrive on it, and it brings out the best in me. I don't know if it focuses my mind potentially better in those high pressure situations, which helps me. But it's it's getting into them and trying to have the same. I mean, loads of guys say it, but it's trying to have the same mentality and and focus when you're not in that situation to help you get there. But it's just difficult when when you're not there. It's hard to delude yourself. So. Um, you've got to be able to get yourselves in those situations to yeah. be able to, to thrive on that pressure. And I mean, that that Sicilian Open, I, th- I hit just really good shots coming in. I wasn't close to winning or anything, but I finished birdie birdie on a tough 18th hole, which got me a top 10. And that did kind of, make, that was my first one. And I did kind of just think, okay, you know, and maybe this was a bad thing in the end, but I don't know if I got a bit too confident in a way yeah. and then I went on a terrible run after yeah, that. And that, that and that was when I started making the decisions where because I had Wentworth the week after which being from Wentworth it was a huge huge deal for me because I you know grown up I'd walked the PGA tons of times and just watched these great players play and loved it it was just phenomenal and then to actually be playing in it and to play so badly was a real like eye-opener and a difficult week because you know I felt like I was playing well but blah 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 and, and you know they gave me the first tee time and it was just a big thing and everyone was there to watch me that I knew and it was the first time where you start to realize that everyone's just 
maybe they wouldn't probably be at the PGA if it wasn't for the fact that they knew me. They were just my yeah. friends and family sort of thing. So they weren't watching everyone else. They weren't enjoying the event. They were literally just watching me. And it was the first time where I felt like, okay, every, everything I'm doing here is being watched. Yeah, Not by the telly, but just yeah. by actual people. Um, when normally the crowd, you don't even notice them. And, and people say, you know, is it good to have your family and friends and everything there? And I would say, well, yes, it is if you're playing well. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're playing terribly and just you can't get anything going, it's probably the worst thing because you want to do so well for them and, and things like that. And all of a sudden it just goes even worse. And the, the simple fact was that I just played badly and I wasn't happy with the fact that I could play so well one day and play so poorly the next. And I felt like my technique wasn't, in a place that could give me consistent results, which I felt like you needed on the European tour to, um, to, to do well consistently. So that's when I started to look at my swing and stats and things like that and decided that if I kept doing what I was doing, it probably wouldn't be good enough. So went off trying to make some changes basically. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to sort of want to go back to is the first one is that, um, trying to play your best golf even when you may be out of contention. Um, Justin Rose talks a lot about he plays every round as if he's in contention, and that's probably mm-hmm. why it leads to him getting a lot of top tens back to it. He doesn't necessarily win as much as his world ranking suggests, but he's always, you know, consistently staying in the in the battle. And how hard mm-hmm. is it when you're, you know, say you've made the cut, but you're T60, T sixty, T fifty four, whatever, to yeah. really, to really not care because obviously you care. You're playing for money, it's your career, but. You know, you're out of contention. How easy is it just to get a bit down on it and just sort of mm. sort of amble round and, and not really... You, you talked earlier about focusing so much on every shot, but yeah. how hard is that to do when, when you really feel like you've got nothing to play for at the end of the week? Yeah, it is. I mean, it only kind of gets to you potentially... Because after the first two rounds, you know that somebody from maybe 50 and lower is going to have a great weekend and end up in the top 10. It happens every week, yeah. sometimes more than once. So you still know there's that possibility there. And sometimes the pressure's off. You can go out early and, and shoot a great round and get back into the tournament. So it probably doesn't come and become a negative until maybe Saturday you've kind of had an average one, but you're still kind of thinking, well, you know, there's a 63 out there, so I could still go out there tomorrow. And then potentially if you take a few things on on a Sunday morning and they just don't come off and, you can take those on because you're in a situation where it doesn't really matter if you come 63rd or or 51st. It's, that's not a big deal. Whereas if you can somehow shoot a 63 and, and get up into the top 20, that's a big chunk. So it's worth going for maybe a few things that are a bit riskier. And if they don't come off and then the last few holes on a Sunday, you, all, all you're trying to do is just finish the round and get out of there because, you know, it just didn't work. Um so that's the only time where maybe you start to think, okay, you know, it doesn't really matter now what I do, but you can always still, I try and find something for the next week. I mean, sometimes how you finish on the week before, even though there's those three days in between, it's amazing how you can get the momentum shifting in the right direction or the wrong direction. If you, you know, take your eye off the ball and, and start doing some sloppy things, it's amazing how it can all just, carry on into the next week so i think it is important to try and keep going to the end because you're i always say that you're you're one feel away from a phenomenal week or weeks and if you can find that on any swing or any putt or whatever you know it doesn't take much to get into a good feel you know playing with a feel a swing feel or whatever so i think that's probably what happens when you try 
to shoot a low one, it doesn't happen. And then if it doesn't, then you just switch your focus to trying to get ready for the next week. Yeah, absolutely. And this brings us on nicely to, to Denmark, where you had your first mm. real chance of winning. Um, you know, yeah. you opened up with decent rounds of 70 and 68, but you weren't really in contention at that point. You know, um, Matt had obviously shot a 68-66. Uh, Lee had shot yeah. 68-65, Lee Westwood. Um, yeah. And then, so you go out and on Saturday and you shoot a 63. Um, yeah. which I think is probably the best score of, of yeah. anyone of the week. Um, and, and you're banging contention going into Sunday. And you, yeah. you spoke earlier about how you played your best golf when you get into contention, mm-hmm. and, and you followed that with a 66 as well. So yeah. um, how yeah. how much was that? When, when you got into that playoff, did mm. you think, okay, one, what was the pressure like? And two, mm. how much confidence did you take from what you just done on that on that round? Yeah, it's, it was such a funny <laughs> all of my good results when I think back to them it just seems like weird situations and and weeks I mean I think before that tournament I think if if I had missed maybe five in a row that could even be too low I mean I was just on a terrible run not happy with my game at all um my injury that I spoke about earlier had started to flare up a bit so I'd only played six holes practice that week we me and my caddy walked the other holes so I was really trying to manage that, seeing a lot of physio. Um, so that probably lowered my expectations. Um, and then my swing just felt awful. I, I, I tried a couple of coaches recently to that just to try and find something. And nothing had really felt like it was bedding in. So my caddy, Sam, he's he's kind of PGA qualified, I believe. And yeah, he's very good, knowledgeable about the swing. And we were just on the range. I was just hitting it everywhere. The swing felt looked horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and we just found something that we just really sat down and I remember being so down about it. And I just said, right, what am I doing? What do we want to do? And just spoke it through and kind of had a, got a feel and went out with it. And when I made the cart, I kind of relaxed a bit because I had missed so many. That was a big deal. I, I was nervous coming down, finishing the Friday because I'd missed so many cuts and you just want to make a cut and just yeah, get something going. Get a week and feel, yeah. And then when I got that, I got my tea time for the next day and I was playing with uh, Richard McElvoy, who's a great guy. And um, I played with him before and played well. He's just a great guy to play with. He plays fast. He doesn't hit many bad shots. He gets on with it and nice to be around. So we were in a two ball and I just felt instantly like relaxed. I felt like I was going to have a good day. And, you know, I hold a few putts, chipped in, um, just played very solid golf. And it was a course where if you could get it going, there was lots of chances. So, um and then when I shot that 63, it was the best round I ever shot. And then I remember I was sitting in the players' lounge watching, and they were the leaders coming in, and they all kind of made a few mistakes at the end. I think Jig maybe doubled the last, and Westwood bogeyed the last, which meant that I was playing with Westwood in the final group. Yeah. So then, then all of a sudden, that just really focused me in, because I was like, okay, not only is this my first final group on a Sunday, but I'm playing with Lee Westwood. The crowds are phenomenal in Denmark. The, you almost don't get as good a crowd as that. I mean, the, the English fans are great and everything, and that's probably on par. I mean, the Denmark fans love golf. So there's just people everywhere clapping you onto every green, you know, whatever hole it was, and people everywhere. So I kind of just knew that it was going to be a big test for me. And um, I kind of got off to a great start, birdied the first, a par three, and that just settled me down. Um, had a little wobble around the fourth or fifth, but just hold a couple of good putts after that, which kept me in it. Um, and then and then felt quite comfortable, to be honest, um, until the end when I realised that 
um, a couple of guys were in the clubhouse already at the same as me and Lee. So I kind of felt like if I can somehow get into the playoff at least, then I probably kept sorted my card out close yeah. enough anyway. So I wanted to, because I knew that if I made bogey, I was only going to come fourth, which like the money goes down and the points go down quite quickly. So that wouldn't have been enough. So um, anyway, so managed to make the four on the last and, and then kind of felt like, okay, I'm in the playoffs. So worst way I'm coming tied second. So let's go for this. And in the first playoff hole, um, it, I don't know, I'll give you a quick um, like image of the hole. There was water at about 300 to carry. Um, and I fly at about 290, say. So I had to kind of go left, same as Westwood. And Matt Wallace and Jig were just flying it over everything. <laughs> they were just hitting him. So we were already at a slight disadvantage. So we both hit good drives. And I hit in first and um, had the exact same yardage pretty much as in regulation and got came up short in regulation about 30 feet. But I hit the same club and I got like a little, I just absolutely flushed it. And it almost came out with a little bit of a flyer. So I knew it was going to just be perfect and hit it to about two feet. Yeah. So now I'm thinking, okay, let, You've done let's your see bit. what they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And then I saw, uh, I think Jig went first and flew the green. So I was like, okay, that's one down. Westwood came up about 30 foot short. And then some mat was left. And I just remember I'd walked up and I was looking back a bit. I was maybe, he had a wedge in, so I was about 50 yards ahead of him. And I just, just watched him. I didn't watch where the ball was going. I just watched him and instantly his eyes lit up. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that he would, he'd hit a good shot. So he hit to about seven feet, I guess. Uh, and the others made par. And then I honestly felt like his putt was going to miss. It, it looked like it was going right and it just snuck in the right edge. And um, so then we went to play another hole. And, and then I just kind of, I just kind of got the idea. He was in such a, he had just made something like 10 birdies the last 13 holes he'd played. And he was just in such a groove. It, I just knew that he was going to birdie it again. I just knew it. I knew he was. So when I hit it to about, again, 30 foot short or so and, and left that putt short, I kind of just knew that he was going to make his birdie putt, um, which was very disappointing. But he, he was playing for his Ryder Cup spot and everything. It, it was kind of a big thing. I think he felt like that got him in the Ryder Cup team because yeah, uh, Bjorn was there and, and there was a lot of talk about would he get a pick and things. So for him to play that golf, birdie 11 of the last 14, it was, it was something like that that he played. It, I mean, it's just insane golf and, you know, could have easily got a pick for the um, for the team, but it, it that afterwards that did kind of just make me feel like you know I am good enough. I mean, it is it's easy to to say oh you're good enough to play out here blah blah blah, but to actually know that you're good enough to contend to win a tournament, you can only actually have that inner belief when it happens. And so you've actually got evidence that it's happened. I mean, I, it wasn't good enough to win, but at least contend, and that that certainly helped me going forward. I mean, again, I went back to inconsistent after that, um, after Denmark and, and had a good couple of weeks at the end of the year when I was kind of almost you know, guaranteed that I got my card. So I think I kind of relaxed a bit and had some decent results, but keeping my card that year was, was really important because it allowed me, like I said before, to kind of work out, okay, I've kept my card, but to be able to go up a level and try and get a win and things like that, what do I need to do? And, and that gave me a chance to be able to analyse it all while still being on the tour because I think getting onto the tour is very, very difficult. So being able to keep my card and then still try and be focused on where I can um, where I can get better was important. 
Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things I want to go back to that Denmark is is that there's two things that probably really gave you a confidence boost. You just spoke there that it did make you feel like you could win. You didn't win, but not only have you gone into a final round for the first time on European tour, you're playing with Lee Westwood, who's won over 40 times, I think 44 yeah. times on tour. Um, match his score, better him mm-hmm. in the playoff under the highest pressure you can be under. And, yeah. and it takes an absolute worldy of a shot from, from Matt mm-hmm. to, to even get himself yeah. to match you, then make a putt. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the people, yeah. it's pretty quite easy to feel that was Matt's third win of the year. Um, mm-hmm. So you're not being beat by you know yeah. someone of a, a similar standard or someone lower standard. You're mm-hmm. being beat by the hottest player on tour at this time. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, it's really interesting to hear that you definitely just took the positives from that. And instead of just thinking, well, okay, mm-hmm. so obviously it's, you're going to be upset and a bit yeah. down about the fact you didn't win, but you just you just took all the positives out of it. Um, and then I suppose what what's probably really tough then is that, you know, you've got the elation of keeping your card and, and really having a chance to win. And then the 2019 season starts and, and you start to struggle again. And what what was it that caused that? Because it, it shows here that you sort of started off with, I think it was six or seven miscuts in a row. Um, and and yeah. how hard is that to, to bounce back from? Because I imagine not only mentally, but physically it takes a toll. Obviously, you're only playing two rounds each week at a time. But, you know, yeah. it, it's kind of... You know, you're just pretty out searching for things and, and doing extra swings that you may not have been doing if you're in good form. Yeah, I, I again, I after not long after Denmark, I changed coach again um, to see Mike Walker, who's a phenomenal coach on tour, coaches some really really good players, um, and. Yeah, I, I, I just pretty much I had some half decent results towards the end of that year, but when 2019 started, I just I just got off to a really bad start and just played awful. I mean, it wasn't even like I was kind of scraping around. I mean, I putted quite well to even you know keep it, I mean, even somewhat close to making some cuts though. And and then I was chasing it because um, I wasn't playing well and I was panicking. I'm like, missing all these cuts. So then I put in some extra tournaments thinking, well, like you've just said, I'm only playing two cut, two rounds. You know, I should be fresh. It doesn't matter if I had a tournament, but, you know, it's more all the travel, you know, and those yeah. early tournaments, it's not just Spain or Portugal or whatever. It's, I added in Kenya and, and it was a run of uh, Malaysia and places like this, India playing in like brutally hot conditions. And, like you say, you're playing badly, so you're hitting loads of balls, you're grinding all weekend. And that was probably the worst time that I've had on tour um, in that I was just in such a bad rut of golf that it could have easily got on top of me. And I don't think, I think mentally I was very good in that time to even just be able to keep going and not get too down on myself. I mean, I say to my caddy that if I, if I hadn't had him on the back, because we're good friends, you know, it, it could have, really really just ended the year even not giving me a chance to come back you know um and i made the decision when like i said to you earlier i felt like if i keep doing the same stuff then the same things are going to happen i'm looking at my stats they're not getting any better my scores aren't getting any better my shot pattern isn't getting any better um (laughs) and, and it wasn't like a bad you know it wasn't that mike wasn't getting me to do the right things because he's a phenomenal coach and one of the best that I've ever worked with. His knowledge is amazing, but it just didn't quite work. Um, I don't know if it was that I just couldn't understand what he wanted me to do, but it, it just didn't quite work. And I was seeing um, my short game coach separately and just asked him a couple of things, what he thought. And um, I 
just tried something different because I felt like if I carried on doing the same thing, then um, the same thing was going to happen, you know, sort of definition of insanity. And I just <laughs> had to, I had to change it. I had to change something to at least give it a go because I couldn't lose anything. I'd like missed seven cuts in a row or something. And, um, and then so changed and tried a couple of new things. And actually I think it was maybe Germany or Valderrama around that time where I had a couple of, couple of decent results. Um, which kind of gave me a little bit more confidence, but I was obviously still miles behind where I needed to be. I was just constantly chasing. Um, and then I think that, I think if I remember rightly, I just kind of, I just kind of basically had a couple better results. It, it wasn't anything like crazy, but I just started to build um, a little bit of momentum and those different things I was kind of working on and, it was just maybe a bit more clarity in my mind. I wasn't thinking about as many things and um, just maybe freewheeling a little bit more and really working on my mental, the mental side of it, which is yeah. very important for me. I worked very hard on that side, which during that first two thirds of the season, all the hard work I did on the mental side of the game and life, I that really, really helped me at the end of the year when I actually played really well and obviously got the win. Yeah, and, and just so you talked about Germany and, and Valderrama there. You had 34th yeah. in Germany, 15th in Valderrama, uh, yeah. another run of missed cuts, but then a 15th for the KLM. Obviously, mm -hmm. gives you a little bit of confidence again. And then, yes. obviously, the two-week run of 11th for the yeah. French Open, which is a notoriously difficult test. Yeah. Um, so that must then, after you know having the struggles that you had had early part of the season, to um, sort of shoot 70 or better for the final three rounds there, it must have given you a hell of a lot of confidence going into Portugal where you know if you're swinging it well, you can score pretty well. Yeah, definitely. That that week uh, in KLM, I played really nicely. Um, and then France came along. And like I said earlier, I remember this vividly, but we're on the range, me, my caddy and my coach on the Monday or Tuesday of France. And like you said, it's a, it's a brutal course at the best of times. And the year before we played Paris National in the middle of summer, yeah, and it was rock hard. The ball was going miles. It was thirty degrees. The the course was firm. The rough was just brutal, but it was just so different because this time last year it was at the end of the year, kind of I guess what is it like September October time. Yeah. So the course played completely completely different. Still like just so hard basically. It played yeah. so long. You were hitting a lot of irons before, which was still. You obviously you're hitting an iron so it's potentially easier to hit the fairways but they were so bouncy in the summer all of a sudden they're dead soft in the winter and it's cold you know you're wearing woolly hats the ball's going nowhere the course is playing so long so we were standing on the range we know how hard the course is and i was just hitting it everywhere just had <laughs> couldn't do anything and i said to him i, don't, I said to my coach my caddy, I, I don't even want to go and play i'm just going to lose loads and loads of balls and it's just going to ruin me and he said and we sort of said no come on like stop being an idiot basically and um just kind of worked on a few things different things because what i was doing wasn't working and um went out and actually played played quite nicely got a bit of confidence and then sort of felt like okay well if i can play well around here then i could play well around anywhere because this is a brutal test from the tee to green and, and and that's what happened i played very solid all week um i actually got a bit unlucky towards the end in that I hit some really nice shots coming in because the, the last four holes are brutal there and the, the wind was up on the Sunday 
and 15 and 18 were just so so difficult and I hit some really nice shots but just the wind sort of gusted or didn't gust whatever but made a couple of bogeys um, coming in to come 11 so I was kind of just building then sort of thinking well I'm playing great to come that sort of those sort of scores around that course at that time under the pressure of needing to do well you know I was sort of thinking well I'll just keep this going and get my card at Torsco if I need to. And, yeah. and that was kind of where I was at. Yeah. And, I, and then that last tournament in Portugal, I carried on playing well beginning of the week, just carrying on doing the same things and, and, and felt very comfortable all week. Um, but again, the same sort of thought of just do as well as I can, hopefully that I get straight to final stage and then I can, you know, just carry on playing well and, and get my card that way. And because like I said, I'd worked so hard on the mental side of it. I had, got myself in a position where the other guys potentially were struggling a bit mentally with the pressure and everything but I I never was I was always very very relaxed I mean I actually can't believe how relaxed I was on the Sunday especially because I like was in that in that situation and I never really once even mentioned in my mind what was happening (laughs) you know what I needed to do on a Sunday where a top five would put me or whatever. I, I honestly didn't think about it at all, which is probably surprising to most people, but because they say, Oh, well to do that under that pressure, but I didn't really feel I managed to not make that, that pressurized situation, which was probably why I could get through it as well as I did purely because I didn't heap that pressure on myself and just was able to, to play well in that, in that situation. Yeah, and also, you know, it wasn't all plain sailing again. You were playing well, mm. but, you know, mm. you you were uh, behind Brandon Stone even going into the back nine, weren't you? Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that you sort of spoke about was that you'd hit probably the best shot you ever hit um, to make an eagle mm-hmm. on the par 5-12. Is that when you yeah. start to believe, okay, well, this is my time now, let's capitalise on it um, yeah. and, and get going and put the foot down? Yeah, I would say so. I actually started off not great. I, I did it a good drive down the first and then just fatted my second shot from the middle of the fairway, basically <laughs> onto the front edge, or just short on the front edge, and made a good up and down there. And for the first eight holes, I didn't really play great. Um, I wasn't playing badly, but just just you needed to get it going. The weather was great. It's a course where you need to go low. So again, there was no pressure, but I remember getting up and down on the seventh from the front bunker, which was a tough hole, probably the toughest hole on the course. And I hold about a 10 footer there for par. And then on nine, hold about a 25-footer for birdie, which is probably, you know, just a great part, probably as good a part as I hit all day. Yeah. And that was when I walked to the back nine thinking, I haven't even played that well there, and I played the front nine in two under, I think. Like, now let's kick on, you know, because I felt like I was relaxed. I was kind of into the round. That part on nine was huge because it allowed me to free up and sort of go for it a bit more. Um, missed a decent chance on 10 and then just hit two perfect shots on 11 to about six feet, hold that. And then didn't hit the best drive on the par five, just leaked it into the right rough. And, you know, there's certainly a part of things going your way for you to be able to win. I felt like yeah. all year I was very unlucky. I, I felt like I was saying that a lot. I'm quite honest about things. You know, if I'm bad, I say I'm bad. And if I'm unlucky, I kind of say I'm unlucky. So Especially I had had some... yourself, isn't it? In that moment? Yes. Not, not trying to kid yourself. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm getting exactly. unlucky. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, I am honest with it myself. And so is my caddy. And we did kind of feel like things were just kind of going against us, which they do. And But but that Sunday on that 12th hole, I hit a drive to the right. And Ollie Fisher, who I played with, who actually played really well all day, but just couldn't get a putt in the hole. 
Um, like he was hitting good putts, but they just wouldn't go in. And he hit a better drive than me technically on the 12th because he just missed the fairway by two yards and had a terrible lie. And I missed the fairway by 10 yards and had a perfect lie. So, yeah. you know, it, though that certainly went my way. And then, and then, yes, I did. I just hit the best shot I've ever hit um, with my three wood to about six feet and made eagle. And, and then that was when I then got onto the next green, the par three green. I saw the leaderboard and it was when... I saw that Brandon Stone was still leading by one, I think. And then I was tied second with Justin Waters. And I knew that tied second might be enough, depending on how many people. So I, that kind of made me think, I've got to keep going here. Because if I just don't, they could go ahead of me and, and whatever. And that, that almost calmed me down. Because if I looked up at the leaderboard and I would say three clear, that's when different things enter your mind. Um in terms of just trying to hang on rather than keep just trying to hit good shots, yeah, which is what I did. And I did just hit great shots from then on in. Um, I, I, the putter sort of dried up a little bit <laughs> towards the end in that 14, 15 missed short ones. But then two good, well, 16 was a good two putt. And 17, I had a birdie putt from about, I saw that I was still, think, I think I was tied now with Brandon because he just bogeyed the 13th or maybe yeah. I was one ahead and I had about a 10 footer for birdie and just went for it because I felt like confident needed it and I hit it five foot past and I was kind of walking past the hole to my ball thinking like what are you doing here yeah um and kind of was but but stay pretty calm to be honest and knocked that in and then hit probably the best drive I've ever hit on the last um because it was quite firm and bouncy and they grown just the Bermuda up. So if you hit it in the right rough, I don't know if you've ever played that course, but you can hit it miles right. There's so yeah. much room right. Water all the way down the left and short to green, but you can bail out right, but the pin is front left and everyone who hits it right pretty much makes bogey because you kind of can't go at the flag. So you have to aim out to the right and then you get tricky lies in the rough and, and then you're chipping towards the water, all this stuff. So most guys were doing that. And I think that's what Justin Waters did as to why he dropped one on the last. Um, and I've just hit the most perfect drive I've ever hit. And it, it was just perfect. It took the water on sort of thing, I, you know, and it just left me an easy shot in. But And it wasn't really until I got onto the last hole. And I don't know, it was like a blur around me. But I did sort of start to think, OK, well, I'll two-putt this. And then I've got my card done. In that, yeah. that, that, and that was amazing because everyone had written it off. There's no way I was keeping my card. So, <laughs> um, and and I saw that I was one clear, but I kind of felt like Brandon hits it miles and he hits it great. So I felt like he was probably going to birdie 17. I mean, he didn't. And then I saw that he had hit a great drive down 18 when I was on the green. So um, I still felt like I was going to probably have to go in for a playoff. And so didn't really celebrate like I'd won. I celebrated like, yes, I've kept my card, but not like I think I've won this because it was so That's close. You were, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so I was just trying. I went to the putting green, just thinking that I was going to go, um, yeah, go for a playoff. But yeah, and, and and one of those things there, I think one of the really important things I like about that is that you did, you, you did exactly what you needed to in that position. Yes, you didn't quite get the birdie putt that you needed from ten mm -hmm. feet, and and maybe mm -hmm. raised that by a little bit. But you you just kept hitting the greens, putting yourselves in positions, yeah. and never never threw it away. You had a blemish free mm -hmm. card. 
Um, yeah. And is, is it fair to say that one of your strengths of your game is, is hitting greens? I mean, gem- yeah. every year you generally you're over the, the mm. tour average and quite high mm-hmm. up in greens regulation. Um, yeah. Is it is it sort of putting and, and maybe off the tee that you, you need to really work yeah. on to get that consistency? Yeah, um, I would say that certainly towards the end of that under the pressure i think guys were kind of maybe playing a bit safer the thing with that course is that you you do have the option on most holes to bail out but if you do it becomes very tricky to score um so i just kept trying to hit my shot i still don't know how like mentally i approached that shot the t-shot on 18 like i did it would have been so easy for me to say in like the mental sort of routine of it it would be so easy to say okay well you know just you can't hit it left here because of the water that would ruin everything so just hit it right you know just bail out right it would have been so easy to do that but somehow i just trained it enough that i just picked my target and hit it at the target and i didn't think about anything else and i put the best swing of the week probably on it, it just felt great yeah. i still don't i still honestly don't know how i managed to not get those thoughts because <laughs> it'd have been, it would have been so easy to um and, and yeah, so hitting then the middle of the green from there w- was very easy. And I mean, in terms of trying to keep that consistently, I, mean, I often look at stats and look at everything the way of how I can be more consistent and yeah. look what I do statistically, not how it feels, but also like the evidence, the, the numbers which can show up. And I still looked at that year and Denmark, the reason that I contended in those tournaments and the reason I won in Portugal was because I putted unbelievable. Yeah. I had a week where I gained strokes gained the statistic, which is important for everyone on tour because to win a tournament, you basically need to gain 12 to 14 strokes on the field on an average field. So that can be made up of, you know, how all the aspects of the areas of the game, doesn't matter how you do it, you just got to get to plus 14. So if you are like Rory or DJ or Brooks and you gain, I don't know, five a week on average with your driver, you've only got to gain seven in all the other areas to be in contention to win a tournament. And that's yeah. why they often are, because they have a tool like driving that they're consistently hitting it miles. So if they hit a few fairways, they just gain so much Game on, on field yeah. That that's why they consistently do well because they have that in their armory. Now, the reason that I contend to win tournaments is I gain eleven at least with my putter. Now, that's very it's impossible to do consistently. So that's why I only really contended to or nearly won two tournaments, one a year. And I looked at it and thought, well, for me, I can't bank on that because I could easily have a year where I don't quite have that week where I have that much gaining putting. So I've got to do it throughout my game. And so that's why I'm constantly looking at trying to improve those areas so that it doesn't place as much emphasis on having that week with my putter. So so that's why at the end of the year, I decided, look, I know I won, but I need to get better at my ball striking so that with my driving and my approach play, I can gain more on average per week, which means I can still contend or still have those decent finishes even when I'm gaining five on the greens rather than 12. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's just closing the gap, really, I suppose, between yeah. how how long between weeks that you have. Obviously, if, every time that you win, it ha- you have to have a good week with the putter. You can't you can't have a bad week with the putter and win. Of course. You can have, a, you can have an average week if you if you absolutely mm. ball strike the, the earth. Yeah. But, yes. but you, 
you can't rely on, like you say, you can't rely on the past, you can't rely on yeah. ball striking to that higher standard. So if you can keep your greens and regulations at where they are um, yeah. and, and gain on the, on the approach shots, then it's mm-hmm. basically a case of tidying up the rest. And, yes. and, and and also, you know, you're not the longest hitter on tour, but no. you hit it far enough that you can contend yeah. at most golf courses. And especially yeah. on European tour, I suppose there's not mm-hmm. as big an emphasis on distance as there is over in the US tour. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm probably just slightly longer than average, probably pretty average. So for me, I need to be more consistent. If I can hit one more fairway around on average, then that, that will help my stats. Um, but it's more just being able to get it in the fairway more and therefore be able to hit it closer to the hole. I mean, I made a decision at the end of the year that to get better, I needed to change my coach and and really build on my swing. So that's the decision that I made and looking at my stats from last year to, I know I played five tournaments this year, but looking at them uh, is already a big improvement in the areas that that I wanted that to happen. And and that's why I putted. I know I've said that I, I mean, normally have been a good putter over the last few years, but I've been putting poorly these five tournaments, mainly because we they're all desert tournaments and I have not always putted the best on those sort of grainy deserty greens, but I've, I think I've missed two of the cuts, um, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and they were both by one, I believe. And, and that was putting really poorly. And that's the big difference. I, if I can continue to hit it the way I have this year so far, but then get back to my normal putting, then I'll be a lot more consistent. Um, yeah, and and that, and that was the aim. Um, like you said, you just got to try and get closer so that you know. I, I think I've ranked very highly in putting the last few years. So, but trying to have those weeks where you just gain it all with putting is almost unheard of. You, a, a great putting week should sort of be you know like plus six or plus seven on the field, and then you gain the rest by by good ball striking. So that's that's certainly where I can improve to. Um, to become more consistent and, and challenge for, for tournaments more often in that I keep putting the way I have for the last few years, hopefully, and just improve the long game, long game stuff um, to, to be able to be more consistent. Yeah, and you talked there about you had obviously a, a couple of missed cuts in the desert, but then you go over to the Saudi mm-hmm. International and there's a couple of things yeah. I want to talk about there is one, it was your best finish of the, of the season so far in the top 21, yeah. so you'd played well and, you, and yeah. you're probably driving the ball better than you had been mm-hmm. in those yes. missed cuts and, and the putting was certainly going back to normal. But mm-hmm. um, So it was a good week for you there. How, how conflicted did you feel going into that event? Because there was a lot of... Um, there's a lot of disdain towards that tournament and, and I find yeah. it hard. I think there's a, there's certain players on tour that can choose not to play in that event because mm-hmm. they've got enough money, they've got enough world yes. ranking points, they've got it, yeah. it's, the situation is not the same for everybody. I spoke to Chris mm-hmm. Paisley on this and he was saying basically I I need to play in that event. It's a big mm-hmm. purse, um, yeah. you know. I, I don't just because I'm playing in the tournament doesn't mean I agree with everything that's going on over there. But also yeah, there is obviously clearly. Uh, they're obviously trying to make a certain effort towards mm-hmm. rebuilding that reputation. I don't know what yeah. you felt when you were over there that week. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I'm similar to Chris in that, you know, I can't turn down going, turn down work in Saudi because I'm not in a position to do so. You know, that we have to go where the tournaments are. Um, and in no way does us going to play in that golf tournament mean that we agree with everything that happened there. But I mean, if you really wanted to, you could find a lot of reasons to not go to anywhere in the world um, yeah, if you absolutely. really, really looked into it. Um, and I don't think we're in a position to 
to use those decisions as political or anything like that because it's that's not why we're going there or that's not why we're doing things it's purely just to go for a golf tournament um and I, I can understand why some people think that like morally they wouldn't play but i think the important thing with it is to do what you want to do and and that's it if you don't want to go then absolutely you don't have to go no one's forcing you to go so, so don't go but you know not everyone's going to look at it the same way and i'm not going to tell anyone what they should do or or what they shouldn't do i i don't think that there is a problem going to play a golf tournament there so that, so that's why why i go and i mean it's it does seem like they're trying to make an effort i mean i mean they, they're meant to have uh a let event there this year i mean yeah if, any, if anyone i mean it, it's an interesting one because a lot i think a lot of the um the talk about not really sh- we shouldn't really go to saudi as a tour came from some members of that tour potentially that are now going to go and play an event there yeah, so absolutely so it, it, it's it's fine to say until you're in that position it's very easy to say what you would or wouldn't do but yeah. when you know everyone has a different agenda which is determined by their position now they were going to put they put they put on a great golf event and they they put up a good purse so we don't really have a choice in that everyone else is going to go and play in it so we need to go and compete just like the let was going to be a great tournament for them so they were going to go and play and it doesn't mean that they all agree with what goes on in that country but they would be hurting themselves to not to not go and play in that event some of them so um, it does seem like they're making a big effort to try and um, try and help things in that country, but it's going to take time, right? And perception from other people is is going to take a long time to change. So they've got to start somewhere, and I guess through sport and, and things like that, that, that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, and and you know, like I said, that no one's situation is equal, is it? So hmm. I think that the, the, a lot of the um, bad, you know, the critics that came of it, yeah. looking at people like Dustin Johnson and Phil yeah. Nicholson and yeah. Abraham Anderson, people that are taking, and you know, mm-hmm. again, you can't knock them because you don't know what their incentives are. I mean, mm-hmm. they may be forced to do it through sponsorship or whatever, yeah. you yeah. know, that, but they're the ones that, are, that don't need to play and have played. Um, yeah. But someone like Graham McDowell, for example, I mean, he hadn't won for a while and he mm. goes, it's a, a career changing, you know, yeah. win again. I mean, obviously, he's had a massive career, he's won majors, so winning mm. a Saudi international isn't going to change his his historical yeah. status but yeah. but getting himself back into oh, to moving mean, towards his situation and it's got him in loads of events well. that he wouldn't have got in yeah you know he's and, in and all the majors this year it like. put him in majors and Ryder cup talk i mean yeah, yeah the Ryder exactly. cup's being moved possibly and yeah. you know it may not work that way but mm. yourself you've had a tied 20 with first finish yeah. that was your best and that gives you a bit of confidence going yeah. forward so it's probably a bit i always i always go on the side of sportsmen that i think People, they're held to a different standard to everybody else in the sense yeah. that if, if I was told to go and work in Saudi Arabia for something, um, no one would bat an eyelid. It's like, okay, no. well, you've got to travel over there, you've got to do your job and come back. Whereas yeah. sportsmen are told, well, you have to yeah. you have to do better. You have to be a role model. Yeah. Um, I suppose someone like yourself, you, you maybe don't quite get that so much because no. there's, other, there's other targets. But do you ever feel like that as, as a player that you do get sort of generalised mm. in a bit of a sweeping statement? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I, I definitely think that some people are more unlucky than others in terms of what what they get. I mean, I don't tend to get much. I mean, social media is a place now where, I mean, I can't really get my head around it, but it's a, it's a very strange thing in <laughs> that people can say what they want to people 
and it be personal and, and people get um you know picked out and picked on because of who they are i mean justin rose got a lot of bad press from a couple of years ago when he went to play and i think that probably um had an impact on him not going this year yeah um but it was unfair because he wasn't the only guy going. It's just no, because it more people know him, he was an easy target. And it's just so easy to to pass judgment on somebody's decisions or um, situation without actually knowing the full facts and, and not being there. I mean, it's so easy to sit at home and say, oh, I can't believe he's gone and, or whoever has gone and played in this event for this much money. When more than likely if it was the other way around they would be doing the exact same yeah, thing absolutely. it's just 100%. so easy to to judge people and try and make noise just for the sake of you thinking well this is what people should be saying well you know everyone it's just a job <laughs> you yeah. know in no way are people saying yes we agree with what the that's the thing that i don't get about it people think if you go and play a golf tournament in saudi that you suddenly are propaganda for yeah. what they do in their country i mean it's mental because i mean a lot a lot of people a lot of the honestly a lot of the players are so naive and probably don't even know yeah, the sort of no stuff that goes on, on in their country yeah. you know and no one says anything to us when we go and play in other countries like well wherever <laughs> china for example you yeah, could easily yeah. say that we should never go to china but no one ever says anything about that so it, it's just it was just an easy target at the time. And, and like, it's just a perception because this is the first couple of years that it started, you know, it, that, that will change because they're trying, you know, it's a, it's an, it seems like a new sort of regime in the country where they're, they're trying to get out of the old way. So, um, I just, I mean, I just hope that they carry on to try and make that effort because that would make the world a better place, which I don't see why anyone would be against that. No, and that's the, thing, the very important sort of thing that you mentioned there is that there are other, you know, Russian Opens that you've played in yeah. before and China Opens. Exactly. These are, every yeah. country has their negative yeah. negative press and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and also, I think I feel sorry for the European Tour in general. I mean, Keith Pelly is, is charged with yeah. making the European Tour bigger, better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a tour that's struggling. That's not, yeah, that's not um, you know, that's not cotton all around it is mm-hmm. you know that there's you're suffering a lot money wise prize yeah. money especially after this situation can't compete yeah. with pj tour purses mm-hmm. he goes and secures a really big financial yeah. tournament and yeah. he gets criticized for that and <laughs> and the only people that are going to get hurt by you not being able to go the next year if they cancel it mm-hmm. is you guys yeah. because you're going to have one less tournament a year to play yeah. at that exactly. you know if they replace it with something everyone okay maybe they replace it with another english event and mm-hmm. oh, it's great there's loads of fans but that's not going to be financially great for you and no. and people don't seem to see that so that was just yeah. interesting to get your take on that i know it's quite ironic when i say that it's unfair you get treated about that i bring it up but i just thought you know bearing in mind what you'd played there it was something to, to talk on and mm. just before yeah. i go Stephen, because we've been chatting quite a while now is yeah. um sorry for going is, on no absolutely <laughs> this, this is what we have you on for <laughs> um is there any tournaments when you get back? I mean, you don't quite know what the schedule is going to look like, but is there a tournament each year that you kind of circle as an event that you really fancy, that you think that there's a course that suits your eye? And obviously you play out of Wentworth. Yeah. Um, does the occasion get you too much there? I mean, you made the cut this mm. time around. Because um, um, you, must, you must be able to play that golf course pretty well most times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you remember yeah. there. And is, is yeah. it set up so much differently a tournament mm-hmm. week that that affects it? Yeah, I mean... Definitely. I mean, that's what people don't realise is that and that is definitely the tournament I circle straight away. It's going to be the best tournament of the year for me. Yeah. Um, 
I didn't realise until I played it the first year. I mean, it, people say, yeah, it's your home course, but it's not because I'd never played that golf course before. <laughs> yeah. I had literally never played that golf course before. The, the rough's different. The greens run three foot quicker than ever I've ever experienced. So it's sort of like, yes, I've hit this part a hundred times, but all of a sudden it's breaking a foot speed. more yeah, yeah. Than, than it has done all the other times. So actually that can almost be a disadvantage in that I'm so used to hitting a putt, say, right edge from five feet when a pin is a certain position now i've got to give it a cup of break from five feet it's very hard to do that because i've seen it so many times not break that much um, yeah, you're fighting against your own instincts aren't you yes, in the sense exactly. that you, you've built up a memory there and, yes. and suddenly you've got to go against that to, <laughs> exactly. to play. The, the greens the firmness of the greens the where the pin positions are you know you don't see that all year because they're difficult and it's so easy for, for people that are say members you know, I've done it before when I've seen the PGA and I've seen someone hit a chip. This is when I'm a junior and I've seen someone, whoever, hit a chip. And I'm, and I'm thinking in my head, God, I, I hit that chip and it was easy. Yeah. But it's not the same. The no. greens are so much firmer. They're faster. So, so it's just the difficulty scale just goes off the charts. Um, so the first year, not only did I play badly, but I had all of that and I just wasn't used to it. Um, the second year, I coped with it a lot better. Played play pretty decent. Had a poor weekend to finish way down but that was big for me to make the cut there because of everything that goes with it so to get that sort of monkey off my back of being so bad the year before um was great and i mean there's so many good tournaments i mean they've built up some great tournaments over the years dubai is a great tournament abu dhabi um great tournaments to start in um i played i was lucky enough to qualify for the ned bank and turkey last year um, yeah. at the end of the season they're phenomenal events just great great tournaments to play in um but Wentworth I, mean, I, I really I mean my, one of my big aims is to play play in a major which I which I haven't done yet I mean <laughs> this year hasn't really helped that at no, all I won't be able yeah. to play in any but um going forward that is certainly something I I, I want to do that I haven't um but yeah I mean there's, there's there is we have been looked after so well for well, for years now. I mean, things are going to be slightly different when we get back to playing, but I have like full confidence that all the guys that are in, in charge of, of running the tour will will, um, will get it back to succeeding like it was because they've done it before. <laughs> you know, they're the, the right sort of guys to do it again because it's going to be difficult. I mean, everyone's every going to find it difficult in every industry, but um, I just I just don't like it when they get um, compared to the US tour because it's not a fair fight. It's um, no, absolutely not. Them being a uh, registered charity compared to um, to the European tour, it, it's just it's not even fair because of the sponsorship, marketing, sort of tax implications of it. it it's just so much easier in in the states, so it's a bit unfair to compare them to the states, but that inevitably is what's going to happen but yeah they've done a great job really with getting the money to where it is so or where it was so we'll see what happens in the next few years but they're the right people to be doing it so we'll see. yeah and then just the last thing was obviously are you someone that sets kind of like short and long-term goals i mean this year it's going to be really kind of interrupted so it's going to be very difficult mm. i suppose you just when you get back going you're going to want to just play as well as you can to yeah. move yourself up as high as you can in rankings and things like that you just spoke of playing in your first major well mm. hopefully next year you may be able to open qualify for an yeah. open or or hopefully yeah. win a, an event or two that gets you into yeah. those majors and how how is it like confidence building to say you lost to matt wallace in a 
in a playoff. Now he changed his career in a matter of one season. He, you know, yeah. he's a similar age to you, um, but he, you know, three wins in one year changed the complete outlook. He's playing in the PGAs. He's yeah. should well, maybe should have played in the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Um, are they are they sort of goals that you've got to play in Ryder Cups and and get yourselves into contention at majors? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That that stuff would be phenomenal, and, and not, you know, those things don't come around to many people. So it's not something I focus on solely, but just me being better, and therefore, therefore, the other stuff will all come. But my big things are being me performing how I can perform more consistently, because if I do that, then the wins and the all the other stuff will come along, but I have to try and focus on taking care of the things that I've kind of worked out. I need to do to, to be at that level. I know that when I get in that position that, that I can do it, which is great for confidence, not, you know, almost deluded confidence where you don't actually know, but I actually do know inside that, that I can do it. Um, which I've always struggled with because I haven't been probably the most self-confident um, uh, over the years. But when you actually build it from a place of kind of proof of success, it's easier to just have it inside you that you know if you put yourself in that position more often, then good things can happen. But it's just getting, getting there more often that's the, the hard bit. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're a winner, a multiple winner on the Alps Tour. You nearly mm-hmm. you came close to a Challenge Tour. You've won on the European Tour, and, and the one that you didn't win, where you come second, you did absolutely nothing wrong. It's just yeah. about how to perform his best. So you've got the evidence there. Um, like you say, when you get yourself into contention, you're clearly not scared of winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just a case of putting yourself more there more often. So yeah. look, let's, let's hope that we can get back to the Tour soon. Um, yeah, we can get back to, to playing good golf. And uh, we wish you all the best going forward. Forward and, and hopefully some of these goals and things that you want to reach uh, come to you soon. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, Tom. I really, uh, really enjoyed the chat. Sorry for uh, going on for so long. No, absolutely not, Steve. <laughs> we've really enjoyed it. It's a really good insight because you know th- this is what we want to hear about. You know, there's there's plenty of players out there that we, we don't really hear a lot of stories, um, mm-hmm. and that's the point of these podcasts is to you know it's very easy for us to go and load up a Wikipedia page or a European Tour page or profile and just. Yeah. make assumptions ourselves and go okay well this took you this long and a bit of a late starter but you tell us the reasons why and and the, and the injuries and things like yeah. that and it's really fascinating to hear so thank you very much for coming on oh, and, and we'll do it again soon yeah great cheers mate